Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome, NCLEX High Yielders. This is Dr. Zishan, and I'm the host of NCLEX High Yield Podcast, where we will be giving out daily content for your exam, tips and tricks that the boards love to ask, and overall general information on how to study, what to study, and complex topics broken down for you. Whether you're a first-time test taker or even a repeat test taker, we have helped people across the globe pass their NCLEX exam, so do not give up and get motivated. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast and also visit our Instagram at NCLEX High Yield, at NCLEX High Yield, where you can DM us questions so we can answer them on the podcast. Also, check out our website, www.nclexhighyield.com, and subscribe to receive a link to our weekly free Zoom session. Free Zoom session where I drop all types of content, break down complex topics, and make them easy for you to understand. Every Wednesday, 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. See you guys then. Take care. All right. So that's just the one thing that I wanted to talk about with pediatric respiratory. But what I really want to dive into is I want to dive into pulmonary emboli. Pulmonary emboli. Pulmonary emboli is not only caused by a DVT or a thrombus. There are actually other ways to form an emboli that can cause this respiratory distress. So the mnemonic is fat bat. This is what I learned in med school or studying for my boards. And it helped me remember fat because you can have a fat emboli and how do we develop a fat emboli? Fracture of long bones, exactly, good job. Pelvic bones, long bones. That flat globulin will enter the bloodstream. That bloodstream will come back into the right side of the heart and it will lodge into the lungs. The next one is amniotic fluid. That amniotic fluid is going to stay as a globule as well in the blood during pregnancy and during delivery specifically. And once it enters the bloodstream, same thing. It's going to come up. It's going to hit the right atrium, right ventricle, right into the lungs. Now we've got an amniotic emboli. The one that we commonly see is the thrombus, thrombotic emboli. When does this happen? This happens when we're hypercoagulable. When we throw a clot, you get a DVT, it dislodges. Through that venous return, it's going to come again to the right atrium, down to the right ventricle, into the lung, and now we've got a thrombus or a thrombotic emboli. B is bacteria. When do we see bacterial emboli? The most common one is going to be in IV drug users, bacterial endocarditis. Bacterial endocarditis, this is a septic emboli. So IV drug user is constantly using a dirty needle they're not worried about clean needles. They're just trying to get high. So they're injecting themselves, injecting themselves with all this 
bacteria, that bacteria starts to grow on the leaflets of the tricuspid valve. So you got your tricuspid valve, and now you've got a bacteria that is continuously growing, 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 and as this gets bigger, well, eventually it breaks off, and then now it'll go right into the lung. The next one is air. How do we get an air emboli? Central line. Yeah, absolutely. Start a line and, and you can get air into the bloodstream. The other one is not commonly tested, but it is another way to get air emboli. Air emboli meaning gas emboli. When people go scuba diving, when people go scuba diving, when they come up, they have to come up slowly. And the reason being is that if you come up too fast, the nitrogen in your blood will start to become bubbles. And that bubble can go right into your right heart and into your lungs. It's a cool little fun fact. Yeah, pretty interesting, right? And the last one is tumor. Tumor cells can obviously aggregate. And that aggregation of tumor cells can cause an emboli. Fat bat. So what happens here? What happens here? Let's take the DVT. Let's just take the DVT because that's probably going to be the most common one that you're going to see. So this person's got what? Unilateral. Unilateral or right leg or left leg. They're not going to have bilateral leg swelling. So they've got a clot in here. It's warm, red, painful, swollen. You don't want them dorsiflexing, okay? You want them to stay still until the body reabsorbs it. But in the off chance that it does dislodge, what is it going to do? It's going to go into the IVC and then into the right atrium, into the right ventricle, and then into the lungs. So the most common one that we're going to see is going to be this DVT dislodging. Now it's become a pulmonary emboli. So what happens? Let's take a look at the lung. This NCLEX High Yield Podcast is brought to you by Immunacy. I-M-M-U-N-A-C-Y. Immunacy.com. Immunacy is an immune system booster formulated by doctors and pharmacists. This team of MDs, PharmDs, DOs, and PhDs have put together a proprietary formula with the highest quality ingredients to keep you in your best health. All natural, gluten-free, zero sugar, vegan, no GMOs, and fully bioavailable. Stock up now to keep your immune system at its best. Immunacy is now available at immunacy.com. Check them out. And now, back to the podcast. So now we've got this clot that is dislodged and it's now made its way into the lung and it's blocking off the ability to get oxygen to that area. So what's going to happen? Well, we're going to have chest pain. We're going to have decreased O2. Our sats are going to start to drop. We're going to have increased heart rate. We're going to be tachypnic. Look for these signs. We could even have a low-grade fever. What's happening on the physiological level? This is where students get really, really tripped up. What's supposed to happen here normally? 
normally what happens is we get CO2 out and we're taking O2 in. Oxygen into the body and we're excreting CO2. This is what normally happens, right? So this part is your ventilation and this part is your perfusion. Our ventilation, our breathing, our gas exchange is now perfusing our bloodstream. We're getting into a proper oxygen and CO2 exchange. Both of these are gases. So this is just gas exchange, is it not? We're getting rid of CO2 and we're bringing in O2. That's just an exchange of gases. Our ventilation is occurring and now it is going to perfuse our bloodstream. Fancy words, but they're just basically saying this. But now we've gone and we've gotten a PE. This clot now is going to prevent oxygen from getting in and CO2 from getting out. Now we've got impaired gas exchange. My gas exchange is just not working. Our ventilation and our perfusion are now mismatched. We've got decreased O2 and we're going to end up getting increased CO2. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do about this person? We'll give them some oxygen first and foremost, but we got to anticoagulate them. So I'm going to go into some hardcore cardio, cardio farm on top of it. So what are we going to do? The first thing we've got to do is we've got to anticoagulate them. They've got a DVT. Now that they've developed a PE. Why are we going to anticoagulate them? How do we know that they need to be anticoagulated? Well, they got a clot, obviously. So let's talk about those two drugs. What we've got to do right away is we've got to anticoagulate them. We know that they're in a hypercoagulable state. We don't care what it is. It could have been them sitting on a plane for 14 hours and not getting up. Stasis. They could be pregnant. Hypercoagulable. They could be post-op. They could be on hormone replacement therapy or contraceptives and a smoker. Blood thickens. Anytime you give somebody extra testosterone, their blood thickens. If you give extra estrogen, blood thickens. Look at their H and H rise. That's going to cause decreased movement of the blood. And when blood does not move, it clots. Think about when you scrape your leg. And what do you do? You put pressure on it. And then what does it do? It scabs over. What's the difference between that and a clot? Nothing. That's exactly how the body works. So now we're going to anticoagulate them. We need to make sure that they don't throw another clot. So get them anticoagulated. Heparin. This is how I was taught to remember. For short, what do we call heparin on the floor? Hep. They're on a hep drip. Give them some hep. How many letters in hep? Three. Three letters in hep. Three letters in PTT. Easy way to remember it. So three letters in hep. Three letters in PTT. So by default, I know that warfarin is PTINR. Don't mix them up ever again. 
keep them simple and clear. The antidote for heparin is protamine sulfate. Hep, PTT, protamine sulfate. Look at the alliteration. Hep, PTT, protamine sulfate. When you guys are setting these notes that you're taking every single day, you should be sitting there and going through these repetitively, repetitively. So when it comes to test date, you're like, all right, oh, heparin, all right, PTT, protamine sulfate, cool. All right, what else? What else you got? Didn't even waste some time. Doesn't even waste some time. All right, so now we've got HEP, PTT, protamine sulfate. Now you need to know what the therapeutic level is. You need to know what the therapeutic level is. What is the therapeutic level? Well, 1.5 to 2 times the normal value. 1.5 to 2 times. 1.5 to 2 times the normal value, which now becomes in seconds, 46 to 70 seconds. They can ask you either or. This is how the boards are going to ask a question. A person was brought in uh, for DVT and now they're started on heparin. Their PTT is at 120. What is going to be the priority action? What are we going to do? This person's PTT is 120. Stop it. Stop it. Then what are we going to do? Stop and give potamine. There you go. Stop and then give potamine sulfate. So look for that. They may even tell you the same thing, but instead of saying 120 seconds, they may say it's four times the normal value. Same thing. You're going to stop it, discontinue it, and start or get ready to start potamine sulfate. The reason why we start with heparin is because its onset is in seconds. We're not wasting any time. It's going to be sub-Q or IV. So we can get them anticoagulated super fast. So now we've got warfarin. Warfarin is oral, but it takes some time to get to this 2 to 3 INR. What's warfarin's antidote? Vitamin K. So what types of foods are we going to monitor? Yeah, green leafy foods. So spinach, kale, cabbage, broccoli. We're not going to tell them. And liver. Yeah, that's, that's, a, I didn't know that till I, honestly, I didn't know that till I did it, uh, till I saw it on UWorld. I was like, liver? I never read this before. But apparently liver has vitamin K in it. Uh, what about banana? Do we avoid banana? Do we monitor banana? No, that's potassium. Don't fall for that. Don't fall for that. So vitamin K foods. We don't stop them. We don't avoid them. We don't tell them to not eat healthy foods. Just eat them in moderation. Monitor them. Keep an eye out for that. If they keep it consistent, if say, hey, look, I eat two spinach salads a week, keep it consistent because then when we adjust your warfarin dose, we know that that's what's happening. Okay, we know that you're going to keep it consistent. So it's not going to fluctuate. So keep it consistent. Monitor it. Don't look at those little words on the boards. I'm telling you, 
when you hear um, students talk to me like little words on the boards make the world of a difference world of a difference so yeah green leafy foods and liver we also avoid grapefruit why grapefruit affects the cytochrome p450 enzyme in your liver which is responsible for breaking down warfarin so we do not want that to be affected because again the efficacy and the availability of it is going to be decreased significantly so look out for that one as well not super high yield but for the sake of completion if someone has a valve replacement if they have a valve replacement we up it to 2.5 to 3.5 now if this doesn't work on somebody that's consistently getting DVTs, then we can go in and we can place an IVC filter, which is what? An inferior vena cava filter. And all that's going to do is in the inferior vena cava, it's going to catch the clot. It's just a little filter and it's going to catch the clot. All right, now let's talk about bridging. So patient comes in, they've got a warm, unilateral, painful, swollen right calf. That right there should be a, a red light saying, hey, wait a minute, stop, what's going on? This person's got a DVT. First thing we're going to do is we're going to start them on heparin. Heparin is subcutaneous or IV and it works in seconds. So we're good. Now we've got them anticoagulated. Well, now we've got to wait for the body to break down those clotting factors and reabsorb them. So the body will naturally do that, just give it some time. As long as we're not throwing another clot and our body, our blood is anticoagulated, it will happen in a couple of days. As we start to see the blood thin out and the size of the clot now is decreasing, we're doing ultrasounds, we're checking it out, we're going to start them simultaneously on warfarin. Why are we doing that? We're not going to send them home on heparin sub-Q IV. But warfarin is oral, and we can definitely send them home on oral medication, right? But it takes some time for warfarin to get to that 2 to 3 INR. One works on PTT, one works on PT, so we're not worried about it having this compounding effect. We're worried about them getting to a therapeutic level. Once we've got them on a therapeutic level, now we can discontinue the heparin and we send them home on warfarin. This time frame is called bridging. You're bridging the person from heparin to warfarin, and you're going to send them home on warfarin. Probably going to be on it for about six to nine months. So try not to use brand names if you're going to be doing your drugs because the boards are not going to use brand names. I tell you what they are in real life just so you can make that correlation, but always, always, always stick to 
the generic, no set of boards, not my, not PAs, not nursing boards are ever going to give you brand names. The type of question that they're going to ask you here, okay? The type of question that they're going to ask you here is going to be one, identifying that it's okay to be giving both at the same time. So this is going to be that question, which, which, one, which one of the following statements by the graduate nurse? You know, they're probably throwing something like that. Are you going to question or further intervene? And they're going to say something to the effect of, oh, no, we don't want to give them warfarin. They're already on heparin. And you're going to educate them. They're going to say, no, actually, this is a concept of bridging. I learned it from Dr. Z. And this is how it works. So that's how you're going to explain it to that graduate nurse. Give me my credit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we give them heparin, bridge them. That's the type of question they're going to ask. The other one is going to be educating the patient on warfarin. So what do we need to know about warfarin? Well, we want to make sure in their management, in the management of warfarin, we have to educate them, right? Especially if they've never been on it. It's a blood thinner. So things like making a clear pathway between your bed and the bathroom, something simple like that, right? Keep a nightlight on so you're not running into things, not only for falls, which is obviously a big deal, but also because we don't want them bumping into things. Bleeding precautions, yeah. Make sure that they're using things like soft bristle toothbrush. You don't want their gums bleeding because it can be hard for them to stop. Use an electric razor. Again, you're just not going to be able to stop bleeding. That's a problem. Make sure that they don't have anything they can slip on, trip over. So yeah, make sure we're educating them. Make sure that they know to wear a med tag bracelet because in the case that they do fall, we need to make sure that they know or that whoever's attending to them knows that they are anticoagulated because the first thing we're going to have to give them is what? Vitamin K. Make sure that we're educating these patients thoroughly on how to go about their daily lives. Prior to surgery, we want to make sure that we DC any anticoagulant. Hey guys, Dr. Zishan here. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you guys could kindly subscribe, leave us some stars, whatever you think it's worth, and leave us a review. We always want to get better for you guys and want to keep putting out this free content for you guys. Hope you guys enjoyed. Have a good one. See you on the next podcast.